you are loved just as you are. Um, we all have struggles and insecurities, but man, does it feel great to just be yourself. Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jerry Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grill. And I'm your co-host, Shauna Penix, Social Media Director at The Grill. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, are you Black and proud and living out loud? So Shauna, before we get into today's very important Pride episode, what's on your mind this week? I came across this young lady on Twitter who a tweet of hers popped up on my timeline where she was basically, you know, alluding to the fact that she no longer wanted to be on this earth. Um, and so I messaged her and was like, look, you know, I don't know who you are, um, but I can tell you that I know exactly what you're feeling. I've felt that way. I still have my suicide note from 2015 that I, I wholeheartedly was I had planned to leave for my family and friends. Um, and to me, I was like, that was just six years ago where I was like, done, done, ready to end it all. Um, and, you know, and I said to her again, again, I don't know you. I don't know what really what you're going through or anything like that. But I promise you that it gets better. I promise you it does. You know, no one is immune from the trials and tribulations of life. But what you can do is take the life lessons, even the ones that really suck, take those life lessons and try and build from it, try and grow from it. Life is hard and it sucks sometimes, a lot of the times, but it's better than the alternative. Um, you know, I talked on this show a lot about, you know, 2019, I had my heart broken, like, oh, like, uh icebox where my heart used to be. I, I flew to Thailand just to try and like not think about this man and all this other stuff and blah, blah, blah and everything else. And I, I guess I'll tell the audience a little bit about my business. You know, um, there's a possible rekindling of that situation from 2019, um, possibly. <laughs> there's a lot of growth that happened uh, the last two years. Um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm optimistic. Even if things don't work out with this person, um, it's okay. Because, and I think the reason why I think it's okay is because I'm kind of like, well, if I lost them before, I lost, you know, I can lose them again. It's all right. I mean, there's that, but <laughs> not say that I want to, but you know, there's also just the idea of like, I went through what I thought was the toughest heartbreak and, you know, you always feel, you know, oh, that was the love of my life, my soulmate, da, 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 about all these, you know, these knuckleheads. But <laughs> um, I think it's it's just a testament to, for me right now, I'm enjoying this moment. I'm enjoying this rekindling because even if nothing comes from it, guess what? I feel good and I feel happy. And I, I know the amount of growth that I've had over the last couple of years that again, I would never have been able to experience. I would have never have been able to, you know, impart my my bits of wisdom onto the world. So, so all those, and especially as we're talking to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters today, I just want you to know, like, I understand it gets hard. I know it sucks, but it it does get better. I promise it does. What about you, G? Uh, well, first off, Shauna, uh, thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable. I did not know that. <laughs> um, but I do know what, what depression feels like and heartbreak and 
there are many challenges that we've just faced as, and it's part of the human condition. And I'm just so proud of you for, you know, having the strength to, to choose you first and know that you are loved and you are needed in this world. And I'm so glad that, you know, <laughs> there's so much growth. Um, but for me, uh, speaking of growth, um, I posted something on over the weekend and it was a bit ominous. I, I said that I was leaving New York City. Um, people started coming in my DMs and texting me like, where are you going? Where are you going? Uh, <laughs> so I'm moving to DC um, and I am primarily moving uh, for the GRIO's expansion in the DC Bureau. As many people may know already, April Ryan is our uh, White House correspondent and chief DC Bureau chief. And we work very close together and it just made sense. The stars just aligned. Um, I have been building a network in DC and, and I have a friend, my friend Mondaire Jones was elected to Congress. And I was like, what better time to be in DC right now? And so I'm really excited to start this new life um, in DC. I don't know what to, what to expect. I've never lived anywhere else aside from Atlanta for college. <laughs> I've always been in New York City. And I was one of, one of those people who said I would never leave New York. Friends would be like, oh, I'm moving here, I'm moving there. And I would be like, that's good for you, uh, enjoy. Uh, I'll, I'll see you when you get back to New York. Um, so it's a, bit, it's a bit funny to me that I ended up having this epiphany during the pandemic of wanting change. Um, and change is inevitable. And sometimes you just never know where it's going to come. And um, I'm excited for the move. Right now, my apartment is in shambles. I have boxes and everything just everywhere trying to get it together. But, um, but I'm really excited for this move and, um, and what it will bring forth for my personal growth, my personal life, for my professional career. Um, and for the GRIO, the GRIO is, is we out here. We are taking over. We are in the White House. We are, we are on Capitol Hill. So we're trying to break news. We're trying to represent Black America the best way we know how. Um, so just look out for all the greatness that we will be producing in the politics side of the Rio's coverage. I'm ready. I'm ready to. I'm ready to pack my bags and go. And I'm so proud of you. I'm gonna miss you, and you won't be able to, you know, use the podcast studio here in New York. But uh, <laughs> you know, but that's fine. Hopefully, hell, I'm trying to move too, G. You know what I'm trying to do. So <laughs> oh, I know growth. <laughs> And I'm also going to still be in New York. So for, for, for my New York friends uh, and family, I'm still going to be here periodically because we do have a New York uh, headquarters here in, in, uh, in New York. So the GRIO is still in, has a New York presence and I will be coming as much as possible. So let's get into this show because as you guys may know, June is Pride Month where we honor the 1969 Stonewall Uprising in New York City, which was a tipping point for the gay liberation movement in the United States. Every year, millions of LGBTQ plus individuals and allies rally together in parades and parties to celebrate and also advocate for more protections under the law, despite many strides made in the fight for equality. But to be black and queer is a different plight. Many of us within the community face greater pressure as a double minority, a person of color and LGBTQ plus. This week, we will delve into how our experience differs from our peers, while also highlighting why we walk with our heads held high in all of our Black queerness. So let's get into it. All right, Jean. So uh, let me just preface this by saying as a person who identifies themselves as an ally of the LGBTQ plus movement, 
who has maybe dabbled in a little queerness herself from a time or two, this conversation is probably going to be dominated by you, G. I'm going to let you do a lot of the, the, the talking, all right? But I'm, I, have, I have dibbled and dabbled, you know, because men are the ghetto. So, <laughs> uh, but let's talk about, um, you know, well, you referenced the Stonewall riots and just a little bit of education, a little reading rainbow for the, the Dear Culture Pod family. Um, so Stonewall began June 28th, 1969, uh, and was led when New York City police, that damn NYPD, uh, raided a gay club called the Stonewall Inn. Um, it's very important to note that like NYPD had been harassing Stonewall employees and patrons and just, just the levels of police brutality and just disregard for those in the LGBTQ plus community from the NYPD, like, Think of how we're feeling about how NYPD has, you know, especially lately, but always been towards black folks. Yeah, the gays were, the, yeah, the straights of the NYPD and the non so straights were out here acting a hopeful um, to members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and honestly, this led to six days of protests and violent clashes with uh, law enforcement between you know, again, those stonewalling employees, patrons, LGBTQ members just in general, um, and law enforcement outside of the bar. Uh, something that I think we definitely need to touch on because this was honestly something that I didn't even know. Um, and it might be a rumor, I'm gonna, I'm gonna double check. But apparently, you know, at this point in time, um, being gay in New York City was illegal. Uh, bars couldn't serve alcohol to gay patrons. And if they did, you know, and I think around 1966, that got, that got repealed and changed. However, outwardly showing that you were gay or lesbian or cross-dressing and drag or being trans or anything like that, that's all of that was still illegal. Um, and, you know, I've kind of heard whispers that the initial sting over at Stonewall Inn was led by the NYPD and was meant to perform genital checks on trans and drag folks so that they could then arrest them. Um, and if you think that's crazy, if you think that's crazy, let's, 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 let me drop a little knowledge on you real quick. Um, there actually was, I mean, this wasn't the exact term for it, but essentially it was called the walking while trans ban. Um, and this was a state and in New York City, and this was a, well, rather New York, and this was a state anti-loitering law that critics say police use to harass and arrest law-abiding trans people in particular. And why is this so crazy? Because this little law, this little ban wasn't repealed until February of this year. Wow. N what? <laughs> it's wild. It's like, crazy. Like technically up until February of this year, the police could see a trans person and be like, no, nope, I'm gonna go ahead and haul you in because technically it's a law in the books. That is nuts. That, that, is, that is insane to me. Um, you know, I think we also need to definitely touch on the point that like Stonewall in the Stonewall riots were heavily influenced and led by trans women. Black trans women and trans women of color. Stop letting these white gays, I know who y'all are, sit up here and, and try to whitewash that movement. That's not what it was at all. 
Like you have to give your respect to the Marsha P. Johnsons and the Sylvia Rivera's of the world. Like, because honestly, they were the ones leading the movement. Yeah, it's, look, as a black queer man, it's already hard in 2021 still. And so I could just not imagine um, the type of, of attacks that the community faced during that time. When I, I remember, one, I didn't even know this history until somewhere like in college years. And then even with the Stonewall Uprising, I didn't know a, a, a ton about that history until I read this book that really just, I, I wish I could remember the name of the book, but I read it because I wanted to, um, I wanted my, my studies in grad school when I went to Columbia Journalism to be focused on LGBTQ um, rights um, and history. And so everything I, I tend to do in my career, I try to center the community because I struggled so much throughout, throughout my life to even say out loud that I'm gay and to be proud. And when I read about all the laws and the prohibitions that were set in place during the 1960s, 1970s, it was like, it, it's, it's, it was a terrifying time. Um, I could not have imagined um, not being able to, one, just be myself, but not being able to go to bars, not being able to hold my, my lover's hand, to kiss a man. If I was suspected of being gay, it was against the law. And it really just shows you that just because something is law, it doesn't make it right. And it, it's, why that, it's why the history of resistance is so important because we saw it in the civil rights movement, which was an inspiration to the, the LGBTQ plus uh, movement. And we have to, we have to ensure that we that we we reiterate that is rooted in black the fight for black liberation and it inspired um, black trans women and black queer men and our white allies to use resistance um, in the ways that the civil rights movement did to push back against oppression um, and I also want to talk about the whitewashing of the movement because there was a movie about Stonewall that came out a few years ago. I'm not sure if it came out, but I know there was a trailer. And when the trailer came out, people were incensed because it was centered around a white man. And we all know, or at least we should know, and, and if you don't know, now you know, uh, the, that movement, that resistance where that night when uh, the Stonewall uprising first began, it was black trans women and women of color um, and, and queer people of color that said we had enough. And you have to acknowledge the, the intersection of race and sexuality and gender expression. Imagine being both black and queer or both black and trans, no matter where you go, you're not accepted. You face oppression in your community. You face oppression in the white community. There's no safe space. And these bars were safe spaces to be themselves. And they were always being, their, their rights were always being infringed upon. And they weren't even seen as human beings. They, they, the, the law did not see us, even though I didn't live during those times, um, as, as full citizens with, with actual civil rights. And, you know, even though the Stonewall Uprising is something that we continue to commemorate, there's still a lot more to fight against. There's, there, we still we still are resisting um, inequality, and people like to think about sexuality and the LGBTQ plus community as just a marriage equality. But there's so much more to us than than being legally married. We want to be able to uh, work without being discriminated against. Like still, 
federal law allows us to be discriminated against in the workplace. Um, and we have to acknowledge that while there have been strides in this fight for equality for the LGBTQ plus community, this fight is, is long and is still much more to, to fight for. Um, but Black women and Black trans women, I mean, they are truly the pillars of, of all civil rights movements. And at, at anywhere you look, whether it was um, whether it was the abolition movement, whether it was the women's movement, civil rights, or the Stonewall uprising, at the center were Black femmes, Black women, and Black queer people. Um, and so as a Black queer man, I just honor the ancestors for what they've done because they've made it a little bit easier for me to, to be myself and to walk the streets of, of New York City or anywhere else and feel empowered to to be seen as a full human. And it's important for us all to be seen. That's all we're really asking for is to be seen as human um, and to be respected for who we are. And you know what? I think that's that's such a great touching point, um, you know, it, where you're talking about the intersectionality of being black and being queer, because I think that's something as a person who doesn't identify themselves as black as black and queer, it's frustrating for me to see especially cisgendered heterosexual people who like to pretend as though black queer people, black trans people have to choose between their blackness and their sexuality. As if there's no, there's no duality of, 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 that, of that type of identity. And it's like, what? The, first off, you sound stupid, <laughs> number one. Number two, yes, that gay person, that lesbian person, that trans person recognizes that they are black. Yes, do you? Because we can't all win if we are not all fighting for one another. You don't get to pick and choose the same way how in my mind, in all honesty, you don't really get to pick and choose someone's blackness, i.e. like when you're talking about mixed race kids and they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm five tenths Cherokee or whatever the hell, you know? <laughs> You know, all of that stuff, it's in the same way that you really don't get to pick and choose someone's blackness. You you cannot tell someone that the way that they identify themselves, the way in which that they have to traverse this world, because the fact of the matter is, is that people are going to talk crazy to them, to react to them because of their sexuality. I really hate like the whole concept of like, oh, well, you know, nobody cares about all that and blah, blah, blah. Really? Really? <laughs> no one cares? Because it seems like you do. It seems like you're telling them to take that queer part of themselves and put it to the background because Blackness should come first. No, they have to fight for both because they are both. Mind your business <laughs> and leave people be. Um, I think there's so many stigmas that I just see folks face. I mean, hell, the trans community right now is under attack by the GOP. Um, these so many anti-trans bands and, you know, and, and, and you have very foolish Caitlyn Jenner over here talking about, yeah, well, you know, well, yeah, we have to protect girls sports. I'm sorry, weren't you in a golf tourney in your wig and lipstick, ma'am? Ma'am, weren't you? Hmm. Okay, like, no, you wanted to use the LGBTQ plus community when you were coming out 
And then you put them on the back, but not even put them on the back burner. You threw them out the damn window once it no longer suited you. And you realized that you still had your, yeah, your white male power. If we're being honest, you know what I mean? Um, we've seen, I, I came across a tweet last week that I was like, oh, this is beautiful. But I was also like, this is effed up. There was a trans person. I don't know who this person is. Again, popped up on my timeline. A trans person who was so excited because I believe he's a trans man. Um, and he's like, I got the job. I got the job. Looking how I look and being trans, I got the job. What the, what? You should get the job because you're qualified. Not, not you having to walk in to a, a, a meeting or an interview terrified that you might not get this job that you may really even want, that you may really even need simply because you are living your truth and how you feel about yourself because there could be ignorant people. Now, my sisters, I know you love, I mean, you know I love you guys and y'all can be a little problematic as well. Um, but I do want to, I feel, uh, sometimes I feel like black people, especially, especially, you know, you Bible thumpers always love to like just, just spit out your ignorance and you never can take a moment to actually empathize with someone's plight. So here's an example of this job discrimination portion, right? The way that that trans person feels is we can maybe sort of possibly akin it to myself as a black woman and I'm going into a job interview. Uh, I have to worry about my locks. Just the way my hair grows. It's just, it's just the way that it grows out. But you know what? My locks, my fro, my, my, my big top, my TWA, my, all of those things could possibly nix me in this interviewer's mind because of their ignorance. That's literally like one of the few things that I'm like, all right, can you, can you see how that could be a problem for the trans community? Can you maybe possibly get that? Like why it's a big freaking deal? Like, why are we still having, why are we still having laws being made where gay parents can't adopt children? You would rather kids just grow up in the system. You would rather kids just not grow up in a loving, in a loving household. Like I, I, I remember we put up a story about um, Jason and the designers. Adair. Adair, Jason and Adair just welcomed a brand new baby boy. And the amount of ignorance in the comments and I'm just like, how are you hating on a, on a newborn getting a home, on a family, on two loving parents, just because they happen to be of the same sex? Like, it's odd, it's odd, it's odd, and y'all are weird. Um, but I do want us to, also, let's transition a little bit, like, because I'm, I'm talking, tired of talking about the negatives. Let's talk about some positives, Jaren. Let's talk, let's shout out our LGBTQ plus icons, man. Like, honestly, there's been so much growth um, in terms of just, like, the gay community in general. Um, I love Billy Porter. He can do no wrong in my mind. Screw it. He just can't. Uh, he recently revealed that he's been living with HIV for, I think, like, the last 17 years or something to that effect. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, again, it's one of those things of let's erase that stigma. Right. It is not a gay disease. I think that's something that's really played the community, this idea that it's a gay disease, and even though it's, I, we, I should acknowledge that Black queer men are 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 disproportionately impacted by HIV, but it's because of the stigma of being gay that continues to create um, this environment where 
some of us engage in um, in risky behavior. And when you're not whole, when you don't have, when you don't live in a society that that honors you, you don't know, you don't honor yourself. And so we place a lot of judgment on people who have HIV and, you know, and watching shows like Pose with Billy Porter, he did a, a beautiful, fantastic job of a performance in the show, especially the last season. I cried my eyes out to watch, you know, the, the AIDS HIV epidemic uh, play out on Pose and to see, you know, episode after episode of someone dying, people lost their loved ones. Um, and just imagine if, society at that time saw them as human beings and said, we have to do something about this. Yep. You know, even, even, even when it came to the trials for the drugs to, to possibly save lives, you know, it wasn't even, they didn't even distribute the drugs to the people who were most impacted by it, who were black and queer. Okay. Um, and so, and, it's, and, and the fact that in 2021, HIV AIDS is still happening, is still spreading. It's important to acknowledge that this is not this is not over. You know, there's so much stigma, and within the black community in particular, you know, that stigma is so centered in the church still. And even though it seems like younger generations are not um, as deeply rooted in the church as our parents and our grandparents, mm -hmm. but there's something about it's there's a generational attitude um, about LGBTQ plus identity. And, and I think it's, it's rooted, it's, it's deeply rooted in, in white supremacy yep. and this fear that, you no, know, we have to always, the community, we feel like the black community has to always be perfect, that we can't let the white man, we can't let the outsiders see what's going on internally. And, and, uh, but if you, if you, but, but that's because you see LGBTQ plus identity as something negative mm -hmm. and having grown up in the church, and experienced, you know, sitting in a pew and seeing preachers constantly bring up Bible verses and preaching my very existence to hell. Imagine being young and knowing that you're queer and, you know, having these feelings for the, uh, for the opposite sex, or if you're trans and, and having um, a, a, a war, a war within your own body in terms of your gender expression or identity. And the very thing that is so centered in your family and your church is saying that it's wrong. And so at a very young age, you're told that, that you can't be this. And so you start to suppress who you are. I remember my favorite color was pink. Mm -hmm. And I was so scared to, to, to say my favorite color was pink because I knew uh, the reactions that I would get from family and from anyone that was around me. I had um, aunts and uncles tell me to, to stop switching. They would, they would call me out if I broke my hand. Mm -hmm. Um, and it took me many, many, many years up until adulthood to, to undo the damage that was caused to me as a child. And, and, and one, I, I see photos of myself when I was a happy, uh, effeminate boy mm -hmm. and, you know, who knows what my gender expression would even be had I been able to live out my life the way that I wanted to, but I had to, I had to like butch up. I had to be more masculine. I had to, my favorite, I had to, my favorite color had to be blue. Um, and there was, there were deep psychological impacts of suppressing my sexuality and, and to some degree, my gender expression. Uh, I've I've said this to people personally that I still, I still am struggling with whether I should, whether I want to identify as he, him or he, him and they, because I understand 
what it feels like to know to say, well, being a to me, being a being a man saying I'm a man doesn't fully capture my identity. And and I'm so proud of the younger generation for you know stepping out at a young at very young ages and, and saying this is who I am. Because for many of us who are a little bit older, um, we're still trying to figure that out and figure out how do I show up in this world when considering the fact that most of my life I had to, I was somebody else. And there was this Instagram post, and I want to read it real quickly, that really touched me because I think it really captures what I and so many of my peers feel like as adults. And it's queer people don't grow up as ourselves. We grow up playing a version of ourselves that sacrifices authenticity to minimize humiliation and prejudice. The massive task of our adult lives is to unpick which parts of ourselves are truly us and which parts we've created to protect us. And so much of our identity is about protecting us from homophobia, from violence. I've been be I've been punched in the face uh, more than once in the streets just for appearing to be gay. I've been called a faggot by strangers just for appearing to be gay. So when you experience that outside the home, and then you have uh, this religious doctrine about homo about homosexuality within the home and in the church, um, it creates this. It's a, it creates a war within your own self to the point where you don't feel comfortable in your own body. Um, and so I thank God for therapy and the opportunity for healing, but there are many people who are still struggling and who are not healing. And I think that when we talk about pride, so many people assume that because we're in 2021 and we can get married and receive more visibility on in entertainment and politics, it doesn't mean that the struggle is over and that many of us still have struggled with with having pride in oneself and it doesn't happen overnight. And so I challenge our, our allies to create safer spaces for us to live out loud um, because it's it's a struggle and it's really hard. Like, and I say this as a Christian and I've said this on before on the show before, like Christianity is the ghetto. Um, the And watching shows like Pose, uh, which again, shout out to that entire cast and crew. Like, oh my God, like y'all are, not listen if we on this show i want all of them give me give me poppy give me like <laughs> give me angel i want everybody like i i my goodness what what an important show what a crucial show what an what an iconic show that quite frankly they better get all their damn flowers this year i'm not playing no games bt y'all little awards is about to come up Stop playing with the girls. I'm sick of it and it's, it's done and it needs to stop. One of the, the pivotal things um, that this season really kind of honed in on was, I'm not gonna say Christianity, I'm going to say people's perversion of Christianity has done some sometimes irreparable harm on our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ plus community. And it breaks my heart to see that. God, I'm no, I, I refuse to believe that God all of a sudden is condemning people to hell or, or hates folks because of who they are attracted to, who they sleep with, how they feel on the inside. You're, and, and even like arguments against trans people of being like, oh, so you're saying that God made a mistake? How about this? How about you reframe your thinking? How about? Perhaps God created trans people so that you would also be tolerant, even more tolerant. 
perhaps possibly because also let's let's be very clear trans people have existed since the dawn of time all right they were here before jesus quite frankly but you know what they did call it then they call it only oh, you have a gender crisis or oh you're dealing with your 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 oh whatever are these stupid terms that people come up with which when you really think about it, hell, at one point, ladies, when we had PMS, they told us we had the vapors. Oh, we're just out here passing out because we're here sitting dealing with menstrual cycle cramps. Things change, is my point. Things change, society changes. We need to be changing with it. Um, and I'm just so, let me tell you something. This younger generation is Poppington. I love these kids. Um, and I love all of the, the folks, I'm gonna call them millennials, uh, who have come from out of our generation. You know, you have the Laverne Cox, you have Janet Mock, you have Angelica Ross, you have Billy Porter. Um, you have just, we still got our Angela Davis. She's not a millennial, but you know what I mean. You know, <laughs> all of these things, all of these people who are living out loud and, 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 and living proud is something to be admired. Um, I think I talked about it on the show a few uh, episodes ago about Lil Nas X. Let me tell you something, good and gay. I love him. I just love him. What, what, what queer fun is that young man? I, and I, being able to watch him and seeing there, I have family members that look like Lil Nas X, you know, little black boys, dark skin, who are just trying to live their lives who are out here, you know, putting on their trade voice so that, oh, we don't get beat up by somebody, you know, all of these other things. And you see someone like Lil Nas X who comes out, who looks like them, who's out here getting his neck licked on on SNL as he's ripping his pants and all of this other stuff. And it's beautiful to see. It's beautiful to see. Yeah. I also, I want to acknowledge Lil Nas X because you know, he, he, he has been very courageous because people also have to remember that he came out in the in, at the height of his career and he talked about the struggle that he had of whether he should come out. He hadn't even been out to his family yet. He came out to the world and his family at the same time because he he saw that he knew the impact that him coming out could have on the community, especially young people who were now looking to him as a, as an idol because of this hit song. And to see the progression, how he he, when he first came out, he was just, you know, your typical masculine guy. And you're seeing the trajectory of his career. He's becoming more queer, more comfortable in his own skin. And, you know, as a Black queer man, I, I do see moments where I see him still still struggling with being fully comfortable in front of the camera um, as a queer man. But man, if I had a little Nas X when I was young, it would have changed my life to see that performance on SNL, as raunchy as it might be, you know, for some some kids, depending on your age, um, it's just so powerful to see him do that because it just never has been done in that way. I mean, obviously there were other queer artists like Sylvester and we have Frank Ocean, but man, the way he centers, you know, his queerness um, and with confidence and, and, and empowers people to just like live out loud, it's so beautiful to see. And I just wanted to like really just really shout him out for that. And listen, and the way he trolls, these trolls back. Listen, you will never out troll a Gen Z, okay? You will never. And especially one who used to be a barb 
it just won't happen. You will never outroll him. So you're sitting there telling him, telling this boy he gonna go to hell. And what does he do? He makes a video of him going to hell on a pool, on a pole. Yes. And he's gonna twerk on the devil. Now what? Are you mad? Are you mad? <laughs> I love I I love him. And and again, you know, I have like a really good friend of mine. I'm not gonna say his name, but I have a really good friend of mine who's actually your Morehouse brother, who I I kind of believe that Lil Nas X and just kind of living out loud and that whole out that whole idea has definitely resonated with him more. He started to uh, you know, get a little bit more fancy. He's doing drag shows. I'm like, all right, I see you. Okay. Get it. Like, I just want, ultimately, I just want, I just want to see people be happy, man. Just be happy <laughs> by yourselves. Be happy minding your own business. Be happy just living your lives. So long as you are not out here hurting children and animals, I don't care. Do what you want. Um, but yeah, I think let's, let's talk about, you know, some other LGBTQ plus, uh, well, I'm going to call them icons, damn it, um, who have been able to kind of rise above stereotypes. Like you were talking about your good friend, your good friend, Mondaire Jones. Um, who are some of the, the others uh, elected officials that we should be shouting out? Um, yes. In, in addition to Mondaire Jones, he and Richie Torres were elected the first openly gay Black men to Congress. Um, and for me, I know that was that meant a lot to me to see the fact that it took this long to get there. Um, but also Lori Lightfoot, she is the first uh, Black lesbian woman elected to uh, to become mayor. She's the mayor of Chicago. Um, and, you know, we there still is a small list of history makers in politics, but you're starting to see that that, you know, glass ceiling for LGBTQ plus people starting to be chipped away slowly, slowly, but surely. Um, but also shout out to um, some local politicians like uh, Malcolm Kenyatta. He was uh, I believe the first black gay man elected to state legislature in Pennsylvania. Um, he is now running for U.S. Senate next year in the 2022 elections. Um, and also Antonio Brown in Atlanta. He was the first black gay man elected to city council. and He's now running for Atlanta mayor. And so, you know, once you see that one person get through the door, you know, it just inspires others to to get involved. And it's really important to have us represented in politics because Politics is where the meat is. Politics is where policy is made and policy has direct impact on our lives. And so if we wanna see laws change so that we can see laws like the Equality Act be passed in Congress, we need more of us in positions of power. We need more allies in positions of power because like I mentioned earlier, discrimination is still legal in this country You know, for LGBTQ plus people. And the Equality Act would change the language uh, to ensure that Discrimination also includes uh, sexuality and gender expression and not just uh, race and sex and religion. Um, and while it might not seem like something like a glaring big deal for some people, for those of us who are within the community, it means a great deal. Because if I can still be fired for being gay in 2021, um, if I can still be discriminated uh, for healthcare, for adoption, like you mentioned earlier, Shauna, um, that means we have a lot, a, a long way to go because if we're not all liberated, none of us are liberated. And if we're going to claim to be Americans and be in a, in a country that is the leader of democracy where all people have inalienable rights, um, that means it includes the LGBTQ plus people and particularly black LGBTQ plus people because we're getting discrimination from all sides. 
Um, and I think that we're at a turning point right now where we're not gonna, we're not going anywhere. We're not gonna shut up. We're gonna be loud and proud. Even for those of us who are struggling still, um, we're still fighting for equality. And, and, and you know, I wanna send love to the community this Pride Month and just say that you are loved just as you are. Um, we all have struggles and insecurities, but man, does it feel great to just be yourself and be loved for who you are. And uh, to Jaren's point, so this is for the straight. Um, <laughs> to Jaren's point about you know the, the LGBTQ plus community, it isn't going anywhere. And quite frankly, that's why they're so afraid. They're so afraid. Uh, I think we wrote a story in February of this year um, that about a Gallup poll that found that more than 56.4% of respondents identified as bisexual, while nearly 25% identified as gay, and lesbians and transgender respondents uh, were split at just like over 20%. They're not going anywhere, period. Get used to it. They're here, they're queer, get used to it. It's right, it's, it's right there, it's right there in the sentence. It's right there in the sentence. So, um, <laughs> and you know what, quite frankly, if this is part of the gay agenda, I want more, just inject it directly in my veins. That's what I want. I want to see the gay agenda. Let's see, let's make it happen. Because if the gay agenda includes making sure that people are being self-affirmed, making sure that people are feeling loved, making sure that people are feeling supported, making sure that people are not feeling like their lives are at risk simply because they're living, Give me the gay agenda all day, right here, in my veins. I, I'm prepping it up. Uh, all the rainbows. <laughs> all, just choo, choo, all of the rainbows. Anywho, <laughs> for our uh, our Black LGBT, especially LGBTQ, but you know, especially the Black uh, <laughs> brothers and sisters, please remember that while your sexuality does not define you, it does enhance the amazing person you already are. So. Walk with your head held high, reach for the stars, and be an example for those coming after you. Be Black, gay, and proud. And, you know, even if you're not, be an ally. It's great on this side of the things. It's great. It's great. This is a good side of the mountain to be on. <laughs>We want to remind our listeners to please support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Gay Professional Men of Color. The Gay Professional Men of Color is a 501c3 organization that aims to provide respectful and positive spaces where gay, bisexual, trans men, and questioning professional men of color can come together with like-minded individuals while creating lasting bonds through programming that educates, empowers, and enriches the LGBTQ community. To get involved, visit their website at www.gpmcdc.org. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review, subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast, and share it with everyone you know. And please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments. We love those to podcasts at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Bruce Salusma and co-produced by Taji Sr., Brenda Alexander, and Antonio Thompson. See you next week.